friendly neighborhood deadly diva, aka Shocker Khan, aka Gundam Wingliner, aka Kogliyoko Ono, aka Darth Frizius, and welcome to Outlaw Bars, where we talk about everything great and not so great in the worlds of anime. And as always, I have with me... Hey everyone, it's Shopei. Um, I don't have an aka today, I'm just glad to be here. Hey everyone, it's Tam. I don't have an AKA either, but you already know what time it is and who I belong to. End of story. That who you belong to changes with the season. It do not matter. They know that it's rotational and Um, there are several people that they can choose from. Okay, okay, okay. Alrighty, so um, as we are recording this on Father's Day, um, we, the ladies of Outlaw Bars, want to extend a hearty and heartfelt Happy Father's Day to all of the fathers and father figures um, out there among us, unless you rock with Goku or your name is Sho Tucker, because it will always be fuck Goku and fuck Sho Tucker. Um, yeah. <laughs> so with that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I cannot let a Father's Day go by without saying fuck you to those yeah, Goku, two the characters. Worst, the worst dad of them all. And fuck all you people. Sorry, I know this was positive, but you know how I feel about <laughs> DBC. But fuck all you people who try to put Goku against Saitama. Why? Because they don't like nice things. Why? You know, they don't like nice things. Whack people really only, like... Whack people do whack things, so it falls in line, you know? Very stop, on brand. Stop trying to put peasants against a king. Thank you. Wow. All right. <laughs> <laughs> stop it. All righty. So since today is Father's Day and we're looking at, like, those paternal um, male caregiving figures, the ones who get it right... Um, Chopin had this great recommendation that me and Tam subjected ourselves to. I have, there are, there are a lot of feelings. Um, this is a classic, this is an anime classic. Like when people say that and they throw Akira in my face, I want to say, no, you don't know what classic means. Get fucked talking about Akira. Basically. But this is a true anime classic. It is 1988's Grave of the Fireflies. Okay, like, because I was going to be like, woo, where do we begin? Okay, wait, I want to explain why I even chose it. First of all... Yes, please please do, because apparently, you know, we haven't cried enough. Okay, so, first of all, I like movies where you get emotional, okay? I enjoy that kind of shit, first of all. Uh, It's why I chose, like, Wolf Children. That's, I mean, it's right in line with that. But... No, it's not. Nope. Nope, nope. When I say right, I was it, watching that. Okay. When I was watching it, sorry to cut you off. When I was watching it, I was like, "This shit ten times more exhausting than fucking Wolf Children." And I watched that at work, and I was crying at work watching that. Okay. Yes, it is more exhausting. Okay, so first of all, it's a Studio Ghibli film. So the we're talking Spirited Away, like that, that really beautiful kind of very purposeful animation. I really liked it. And I, I like the fact that it was on Hulu. It's like, all right, give us a chance to get into some shit that we maybe wouldn't already watch. So for those of you who have not seen it, the premise of it is a look at the the human cost of war. And as you know, everyone who is listening, we're in hell. Okay. In case you didn't know, like the news is garbage all the time. It's trash all the time. But as Americans or any of us who are Americans who are like currently listening, you hear about how the United States is at war with other places. And for most of us, uh, we're very removed from that experience. Even the premise of the movie, it's like um, it's in Japan. It's World War Two. So you have these like villages and these townships that are surviving air raids and you get to see the picture of what war actually costs played out in this family. Um, it's a little boy. His name is um, Saita. 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 And his little sister. Um, like Setsuko. Setsuko. Yeah, Setsuko. So a lot of fucked up shit happens. But instead of it being like, oh, war is bad because like that is too on the nose for, you know, as a premise for a film. 
you just have these two children who are just trying to fucking make it and it is heartbreaking and it's really beautiful to watch like of course you know the nigga was crying you know casual you know shit but it really pinpoints this idea that you think about like for some people you think about war that it's like it's like a faraway thing it's like it's us versus them kind of thing but you just have like this 14 year old kid who is just trying to take care of his sibling he's just trying to be the that paternal figure that she like needs because she's little she's like four or five like she's not like yeah she's very she's very young i think um Seta is 14 at the start of it yeah and little girl she, i don't even she, i don't even think she's school age yet she's mm-hmm. not even yeah she age. seems to be probably about three or four yeah um and and one of the things first of all let's just talk about how this movie was made in 1988 and it looks like a current day movie in terms of obviously it's a period piece. So it's very true to the period of World War Two, but it doesn't look old, which was very striking to me because, you know, you watch you watch some old animes and you're like, yeah, I, I could tell this shit is is old, but it didn't seem like older animation, which I really like. So that just tells you that as and this is me as a first time I'm never watching it again. Not because it was bad. I just can't go through that. And and, and as we're recording, like I literally just finished the movie maybe like 30 or 40 minutes ago. And I'm like actually still emotionally exhausted from it. So it's not something that I would watch again, but I would recommend that you all watch it at least once because if not for just the animation and how true to life it, it was in terms of like Chopin said, looking at how war impacts like the average person and what was so striking to me is that essentially you you have these children who are orphaned okay their dad is in the navy god knows if he's like no one knows if he's alive it's never i mean by the end of it you presume we make the assumption that, that he's, he's dead, dead because you the japanese yeah. fleet has been defeated but and... you right but it's never really said but their mom dies it's just him and her and he has to still act as um a father for her. like he doesn't even have his own time to really grieve his mother's death because he has to be and this is you know a very older like elder sibling thing is like you have to be okay for your siblings right? You have to be okay and make sure they're okay before you're okay. And especially dealing with like all this trauma, like he saw his, his mother was severely injured and burned from a bombing. He saw her body. He knew she was dead. Didn't tell his sister because he didn't want her to be upset. And this whole time he's trying to be on right like that thing where you have to be like you have to wear the mask and like everything is okay (laughs) when everything is like a piece of shit everything is falling apart but he's 14 year old 14 years old trying to cope and trying to make sure that like they're fed they're okay and food is being rationed and there's not enough food and they go to stay with their um an aunt on his dad's side she's a bitch fuck her and she okay hold on <laughs> yeah okay take over like, diva it's, 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 take over diva it's, it's like we're, we're we're jumping around a bit and we're giving like bits and pieces but like when we just getting back to the basic premise is that we're dealing we're dealing in um kobe japan um a few months before japan surrenders during world war ii so they're constantly under threat of air raid as we mentioned before um but it's one of those things where if your town hasn't been hit, it's easy to become kind of disillusioned and kind of have a false sense of security, which is kind of what we see in the very beginning where there's an air raid going on and and they're not moving with the speed that one would think you would move when your country's being actively bombed because the, they're, they're, they're taking their time and tying their shoes and the mother's like, oh, mind your brother. And Sata's like burying some... Ration, Pardon me, like some food, burying yeah. some of like the family's belongings, you know, in case that the house is destroyed. But they're, um, I think, because one of those where you're, where they're so accustomed to the air raids and nothing had nothing had happened up until that point, where nobody's really moving with that sense of urgency that I really wish they had been moving, considering that we, I know the premise of the, I knew the premise coming in. So 
even the way that Seta and Sesko are like making their way to the shelter until they see actual bombs dropping and hitting houses around them, they're not really moving fast enough either. I was like, and you see that, you see how people, even when things are shitty, like things are in the US right now, it's easy to get lulled into a false sense of security because it hasn't hit you yet. And that's what we start with is these people, even though they know they're, they're actively engaged in war because their town hasn't been hit, it's like whatever. And then once the mother dies and they have to go to the aunt, who starts off okay because she's like, oh, this is the, these are children of a military man. So she's figuring she's on the come up. She thought that was a come up. Yep. That's and what when it she, was. That's what it really was. That's what it was. She thought it was a come up because when Satan went back to his house and got the stuff that he buried, she was like all starry eyed. She was like, oh, dried fish. And like when she got the tin of butter, you would have thought that, you know, that she was the first piece of good dick face. she got in her life. She put that shit on her face. She was like, oh my God, you can't get this anywhere. Children of soldiers have it so good. No, bitch, they don't. They don't know where their daddy is. She she really was like a two, like, she was like a snake ass bitch. Like, you're in war. You're like holding all of these rations. And like, so like, this is, I'm guessing this is their their mom's sister. Like, is that? No, it's, no, 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 it's no, their no, father's it's, side. It's their father's and it's like a distant aunt. Okay. It's, it's probably like a great aunt or something like that. No wonder Because remember toward the end, bitch. after after she got fed up, she was like, doesn't your, don't you have family in Tokyo on your, your mother's side? side? Yeah. Okay. So that's one of her, that was one of her, one of their father's relatives. They, this bitch, basically, so her, the, the mom, she, she gets injured, like Tam said, in like the raid. She's burned all over her body. She, she basically ends up dying. So he knows that she's dead. The little sister doesn't know. The trash aunt knows. And she basically tells this kid to sell, to trade his mother's kimonos for rice. Okay. Oh, oh no 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 no! It, it would have been it would have been one thing if she had been like you know what shit is hard, right? But basically she was she was getting those kids for everything that she could. Cause think about it, at that point, like they had already started rationing, so the number of heads in your house determines what you, you get. get. I was like, so she has these two extra kids who she's coming up with extra rice and soy sauce and salt for, but she don't want to cook for them because they're not her kids. And she's like, oh, well, you know, oh, she doesn't even tell the boy to go sell the kimono. She's like, oh, I'll take care of it for you. So you you. know she got some shit and didn't share it? Yeah, she did not share it. She got more rice and then just gave them like a jar full of rice. Like, this is for y'all. And she took the bulk of it with her. Yes. But those are, it was his mom's stuff. And then like how quickly it turned around, how it went, like even when she was dishing out food in that next scene, the bowls that they, that she gave him and his sister didn't fucking have any rice in it. And I'm like, all right, well, they just sold their dead mom's belongings in order to bring rice into this household. And like little by little, her tolerance for them keeps like slipping. She calls him like la- like a lazy scum at one point. Like she's like fucking like calling a baby, an orphaned baby names. Okay, like... Why would you like tell your dumb sister to like shut up? Okay. Like her the sister is like crying for their mom in her sleep. And she's like, Well, my husband and my daughter are actually fighting for the war effort. You're not even that's actually not even her fucking husband. doing that's not anything. Even, like, that's not even her husband. Like that's that a lodger. It was just some like a refugee. And she kept bringing up the fact that people are contributing to the war effort. Don't you need to go to school? Can't you go work? And it's like, there's literally, there was literally nowhere for them nowhere go literally nowhere and seeing um Seta's personality obviously if he could work if he could contribute in any way he would have (laughs) he he was definitely the type that would work would go to school would would be contributing if he could but Let's not forget, this is a 14-year-old child. So there's only so much that he could do. He he said, he was like, the factory I worked in got burned down. My school is burned down. Like, there's literally nothing for me to do. Like, I'm, and you really have a free babysitter because he's taking care of the damn baby. And that wasn't good enough for her. And essentially, they, they decide to leave. They decide that they find an abandoned 
um, it's, a, it's an abandoned bomb, bomb shelter. shelter. And they decide, they're like, you know what? We'll just stay here and we'll make it our home. And then, you know, what was so funny. She was like, oh, y'all are, y'all are leaving. Like she looked like kind of shocked, like, oh, I didn't think y'all would really leave, but then didn't do anything. Like I thought she was going to try and convince them to stay. And she's just like, all right, bye-bye. She's like, take it easy. Come back again sometime. I'm like, hey. <laughs> right. No, but what was it? And this goes back to, I'm going to like bounce back to um, one of our old, one of our more recent Notice Me Senpai questions that Mr. T stuff sent where he asked us, you know, how to support people who are sick. And I told, and I said, like, if your support isn't sincere, then don't fucking offer it. And I'm like, and as I'm watching this on, I was like, bitch, you could have saved everybody some trouble. If you told them no from the get-go. And told them no. I'm like, because I'm sure that somewhere, like, near that school or someplace, they're not the only orphans that this place is dealing with. So I'm sure that there's some place for them to go, but you know, people want to be around their folk and, you know, not, I'm like, blood isn't always sticking in water and tr- family is trash sometimes. So she could have saved, she could have literally, fuck it, she could have saved that little girl's life if she had just told them no from jump. Because they would have went to some, some town run, some government run center where the kids are. The little girl wouldn't have died of fucking malnutrition and neither would the boy. Right. Because because all of this, that whole, their demise comes down to that decision for them going to the aunt's house. You can't convince me otherwise. It wasn't the bombs. <laughs> it wasn't losing their mama, their daddy. It was when they went to their that aunt's house that didn't really want yeah, them Yeah, because there. I'm sure if they had stayed at the original shelter where they were at, somebody would have been like, okay, this is like a, a home for children. Or... There, there would have been something. There would have been something. There would have been more support there than what they had. Yeah, and so they're living in an abandoned bomb shelter. They're catching, you know, they're picking kind of like reed vegetables from the stream, and um, eventually becomes it's not enough, right? It's it's not enough. And, because here's the thing: it's yeah. wartime. Like everything is short. Yeah, food is food is short. Cloth is short. Fuel is short tools are short like it, it gets to one point where states is trying to like barter he's trying to actually buy things outright yep he was like can i please pay you he was like even he's like i ain't got nothing for you to buy even if i could sell it to you he's like i have nothing he's like i don't have any the farmer at some point was like yeah i'm a farmer he's like but i don't even have enough for me to live on right and so what ends up happening is because they're running low on food he gets the idea to steal vegetables and steal from the farmers while people are like panicking from the air raids, right? So while people are running away, he's running into it so that he can get food, he can get um, clothing so that he can kind of try to barter and sell. And his sister is is, is getting weaker. She's getting sick. And one thing that I had noticed is that um, this was when they were at the beach before he even left the aunt's house is that his sister had like a rash mm-hmm. on her back. Okay, the I'm glad you mentioned that because when I first saw it, I thought that the aunt was beating the little girl on the low. No, that's, I think that was just like, that was just- No, like, no, I, I oh. realized when like, when, like when he mentioned that her itching, that it was a rash. But when I first saw it, like when she takes off her, when she takes off her shirt, at first I thought, I was like, is the aunt beating the girl on top of everything else? And then I realized that that wasn't the case, that she was just, she just had like some type of allergy or something. Heat rash. Yeah. It was just like really bad heat rash and then mosquitoes. And then eventually they're like taking a bath in the stream where they're by the bomb shelter that they're staying at. And you see it on his back as well. He also has heat rash because they have the mosquito nets. But obviously that's only for nighttime. You're exposed to the elements all day. Um, And his sister's getting weaker. He's trying to steal food for her and it's not enough. He ends up getting beat. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he ends up getting beat because a farmer catches him. And thank God the officer had some, a little Compassion. bit of kind, kindness and was not going to charge him with anything um, and let kind of let him go. But his sister, you know, mind you, this is, a, this is like a three or four-year-old child. Like, they have to eat. They can't, like, live off of, 
smoked fish and boiled rice and candy drops. And that's not sustainable for a toddler, you know? And, and he, he, you know, gets to the point cause he sees her and he's all beat up and she's, he's crying. He's upset because he realizes it's like not much he can do. And she's, she's concerned with him. She, the part that really, I mean, I was crying before this, but the part that really got me was when she was like, are you okay? Like, do you need to go to the doctor? Like, where does it hurt? Yeah. Cause, cause at the end of the day, she's a, she's a four year old girl. Right. And all she, all she knows in this moment is you know, her mom's gone, you know, dad's off in the war and all I have is my big brother. Like we are all we got basically. And the fact that there's like nobody, like they had no, no support system outside of their nuclear family. And that's, I think the, the scare, I think that's what kind of got to me, you know, considering, you know, my condition, because like all I really have is my nuclear family. Right. So if something worse, I'm like, you know, God forbid something goes south really quickly. Like all I got is my nuclear family. So what, you know, what do you do in case of disaster? You and, know, where do you go? And one thing I thought about was how important it is just like to bring this back to like a real life perspective, right? We all live in a digital age obviously and we take for granted how quickly it is to like text somebody but like what if you don't like me I don't live close to my nuclear family right my I'm in Baltimore my family is in New York and if something were to happen to me god forbid the only person that like I really like I have friends here but like the closest friend that I have that lives like in a walking distance proximity to me is Chopin right and okay, so does Chopin have my parents' number? Does she have like who is contacting your family <laughs> if something happens to you? Because that was the thing. The aunt was like, "Don't you have family in Tokyo?" And he was like, "Yeah, but I don't know how to contact them. I have no way of contacting any other family. Like you are literally the only family I have." And that seems like such a far fetched thing, but that is actually still the reality for a lot of people. Like, yeah, we know we have family, but we don't have any way of contacting them or if you have friends like do your friends have ways of contacting your family no and we don't think we you know you know what I mean like we don't think about that in when we're living our regular lives but it's super important and I would urge like I'm I have like a random paranoid moment where like I gave like my boyfriend's number to my sister and to Chopin and like just because I'm like I don't I live by myself if something happens to me my cat is gonna eat me so, like, who is contacting people that I need that need to know if something happens to me? Because, you know, like, we're living in hell, as Chopin said. God knows, like, a bomb could drop any day at any time. I don't live in, a, in like, driving distance to my family. And it's scary to see how quickly you can be ostracized and, like, be alone and try to figure shit out for yourself. That's what was scary for me. And like how as a older sibling, if God forbid your parents are gone, like you're now responsible for your siblings. And my baby and sibling not- is old. Like they're not like a three year old. They're 26, but it would still be on me. Right. Right. And the, you know, these kids are dealing with malnutrition and he goes to the doctor and he's like, what, what does she need? And he's like, uh, she needs food. Bye. And he's like, bitch, where do I get food? Obviously I'm hungry. Like we're all hungry. Where do I get food? It's fucking wartime, bro. Could you be a little bit more specific? Like, like, is there, was it, oh, there was a, there was a moment I think when, uh, I think maybe like the second or third time he went back to the to the rice farmer that he had been getting um, rice from where he was like, can I please just buy something? And he was like, listen, young man, times are hard for everyone. Basically. He's like, you need to suck it back up and go back to your aunt's house. He's like, apologize to your aunt. He was like, he's like, swallow your pride, apologize and go back. He's like, cause everything is rationed now. He's like, and it's, he's like, it's impossible to live outside of the system. And that's, and that's another indictment of the way that we, that we just handle everything. Mm -hmm. Like how I'm like, those kids were literally living off of the grid. 
and had no access to anything. And this even was a, this movie is at this point 30 years old. So there are no such things as spoilers at the very end. Um, at the end of the movie, Sata's back at the bank withdrawing money from his, from his parents' account. And he finds out at the bank that the war is over, that Japan has surrendered. And he was like, surrendered. The war is over so far off the grid and with no human contact that they don't even know they're no longer at war at this point. They're still living in the bomb shelter and they find out they're not at war. And that's when, whew, Jesus. Girl, girl. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm a big girl. I can do this. So he takes his money. Remember they've been, they've been pretty much starving. They're both of them are malnourished. Um, the little um the little girl um Setsuko has had diarrhea for weeks like she's she's a big old mess um through no fault of her own so he goes and he buys nourishing food he buys rice he buys chicken he buys melon like he has all at this point now that the war is over he now has access to the things that his sister needs to to survive and he comes and oh my god the baby is laying down looking up at the top of the bomb shelter at fireflies that aren't there and eating um, marbles thinking what was it because drops. yes because the little girl had this she loved these little fruit drop candies the the kind of purse candies that your grandma has at church she the little girl loves them so she takes marbles that she found puts them in her candy box and pretends they're candy and she's sucking on this marble like it's candy and her brother had to take it out of her mouth before she chokes on it and she hands him remember the rocks yeah and she was like she was i like, made you rice, rice balls, rice balls. Here, eat them. Don't you want them? And he realizes that his sister is so sick that she is actively hallucinating. And he's trying to feed her and trying to get trying to get something in her system, but it's too late at this point. Like there were so many missed opportunities to help these children. And then the little girl's gone. And it's up to once again the big brother to cremate his own sister. That was really that was really hard to watch because, you know, he's getting the things for cremation and the guy that he's talking to is just like, yeah, I mean, this sucks, but it's a beautiful day outside. It's like, sir, he's giving him instructions on what he needs to light his own like his his sister's corpse in effigy. Like, yeah, like, you know, make sure, you know, you have her in the right burial clothes, make sure that you have enough wood and then you just light her tiny body on fire. But the thing, another thing too is um, that we see, especially with with kids um, in distress, is that they don't necessarily tell the adults around them yeah. what what it is. Because remember, it took him a minute to tell the aunt that the mother was dead, and like at some point, like the aunt asks, you know, where she is in the hospital because she wants to go visit her and bring the little girl, and that's when he tells the aunt that she's dead. Because think about it, it's one thing to take on, you know, your long, you know, your great niece or your great nephew when, you know, you're recovering in the hospital or, you know, you're off fighting, fighting the war. And there's the assumption um, or the hope that you will be returning. It's another thing to know that you are harboring a goddamn orphan. And granted, the aunt wasn't the greatest person before she found out that the mother was dead. But she was she was a complete asshat when she realized that that mother wasn't coming back for her kids. And there's like a I've, I've mentioned this before, like when we talked about uh, like age dynamics in like anime, like like what how old is old enough? And I told you that we do children a disservice by not paying attention to them. It's fucking wartime. Why, like, it never occurred to any of the adults, like, who just see, like, a random 14-year-old boy with a toddler strapped to his back? Like, I get it. Like, everyone is, like, stressed out. Everyone is, like, going through it. No one has enough food. But the farmer who beat the shit out of him for stealing one sugarcane stock or whatever, that farm had plenty of food on it, okay? And he wasn't off the fucking grid. Okay, he could have known that the war, you know, was almost over or whatever the fuck. But like, it is incredibly telling that this boy had to carry all of this by himself. And again, to the very end, he had to be the person 
to cremate his sister, to be responsible for that yet again. And when you're watching the movie, it starts off with him dead. Like he is in the... Um, it's, it's, his, it's his final moments. Like we, he, we get like maybe a minute and a half of him alive and then that's it. Yeah. And so like the rest of the movie is like, it starts, it goes like essentially in reverse. It plays everything up until that point. But you just see him dying alone in like a train station like and you have these people who are like fucking you know tramps and beggars and i'm like oh he's a child he's a child like these are children and at that point when he dies the war is definitely definitely over so it's not like because they're talking about the americans coming and they want to get the tramps off the street right and and i'm just like dog like this is these are your countrymen these are your neighbors like these are your like these are your people and you spoke about him like he was trash after everything he'd been through up until that point. And it's just like another reminder that like, we have to see the children around us. We have to see them clearly because like, why would he have to carry that burden by himself? Like, yes, understandably his aunt was a piece of shit, but like there were other adults around, you know, like it wasn't just her and it, you know, and one thing that I, I mean, and I will say this from the little bit I know about Japanese culture is everybody is very much like, you mind your own business. That is a, that is a very cultural thing out there. Like you just don't get involved with other people's stuff. And I mean, that's kind of true with Western culture. Um, maybe it's changed a little bit in the ta- in the age of the internet where you can like record something on your phone and put it on the internet. But it is very much, you kind of just, you you kind of just don't get into other people's business. It's the same way in that people can see a violent crime occurring and they won't, they won't interject. They won't call the police. They'll just let you know, cause it's not your business. And it's a sad reality, but it is a reality. So again, this movie is 30 years old, but it's still a lot of stuff that occurs today in a not just with children but just with adults and how we look at homeless people in general right mm-hmm. it's really yeah. easy to to walk past homeless a homeless person or i've even had conversations with people who are like i don't know like they just stand there and they just beg like why don't you like go get a job or you know do something i'm like you want somebody to like shuck and job for some change like you're not even gonna give them like any real money you're gonna shuck it like you but you want them to shuck and jive for some change you know like these are these are attitudes that people have in 2018 and it's like it's it's really gross like i know we talked about this when we watched tokyo godfathers but when people like y'all when you hear people say those kind of things you like need to push back on them like, why don't they get a job? Really? In 2018, how do niggas get jobs? You apply for them on the internet. So this homeless person is supposed to go where? To their tent? Where are they supposed to go to get internet access? Would you hire someone who hasn't had a bath in a week? Like, Or who doesn't have an address? Thank you. Who has... Mm. Who you, Because when I applied for the job that I had recently, they told me to bring my passport. They told me to bring my driver's license. They told me to bring all this documentation that I luckily like had at my disposal. If I came off the street... Where would I get it? And people who like, you're essentially asking people to go through all of this trouble so that they can get what a minimum wage job. I think minimum wage in Maryland now is about to be like $10 and 20 cents or something like that. What? Like these are y'all are the same kind of people who if your check is short, like $50, you're, you would be the first one up in HR, but you want people to like beg you for like a $10 bill. Like, cause, and that is being generous. Cause you know, that the, what you give homeless people is like a dollar is $2. And it's, it's that, like that lack of like compassion just for like other people that, that is like a thread, like through the whole movie. And what Tim said about the animation, it was very weird. It looked, I don't know if Ghibli films have just looked the same the entire time they've been in business or what, but like you could put the studio Ghibli film, this one, uh, grave you know grave of the fireflies next to spirited away and you wouldn't be able to tell what year either of them came from true like just like and i think that has to do with like how ahead they were in 1988 but also just like how consistently good they are with their shit because it like tam said it doesn't look old or anything like that um 
but yeah, it, like it's a really yes, but- grody thing to like mistreat like people who you in your mind think are like beneath you or you know less than you or whatever the fuck. And to speak on the animation, comparatively speaking, like so we have Akira, which y'all know how I feel about Akira. But Trash. If you look, <laughs> if you want to look animation wise, Akira looks old, and not because. Um, of it again a period piece right we're in like this weird futuristic time but akira looks dated when you watch it like you know yeah. you're watching an older anime but when you're watching grave of fireflies if you didn't know it was made in 1988 you wouldn't know that it was made in 1988 because again you could put princess mononoke against it and it looks like they were made around the same time and I think that really speaks to the quality and the care that Studio Ghibli puts in their animations. Like they details on details on details. And like the emotions of the characters were really poignant. Um, and I watched the subbed version and the, Same. the, the acting was really, the, the acting was done really, really well. Um, and it, again, it didn't feel like, even though, because I watch a lot of um, war movies, just not anime, but like just in general, like war pieces. Um, it didn't feel like you were watching something that like was made back in the day. Like you can, you would think again, if you didn't know it was made in 88, that you're watching a, a modern period piece, um, which I, that, that was like one of the first things that really, struck me and also just like the humanness behind it like it was just really I mean and I don't expect anything less from them but it was just really really well done like really well done and really like you know sometimes you watch things and you feel like it's propaganda (laughs) yeah you know what I mean like you feel like it's propaganda and I didn't feel like this was any kind of propaganda like Oh God, like, you know, it just felt like, damn, like this is, this is shit that happens in war and people are, we, you know, we are fortunate if you, again, if you live in a, a first world country or a country that is not experiencing conflict and bombings all the time, like it's very easy to be detached and you hear things you're like, Oh God, like that's, that's so sad. But like to kind of see it done in this way and like these, again, these are kids and they're struggling and they're orphans. They have nobody but themselves. They try to go to family because that's what you're supposed to do, right? Like you're supposed to try to go to your family, your next of kin, and the next of kin is trash. And so they, the you know, and, and I don't, I'm not, you can't even be mad at that because like, essentially if they had food, they would have been fine on their own. Like here's the thing. I'm like, if they, if it, if they had gotten word right. that Japan has surrendered even a day earlier, you could have saved that. You could have saved those kids' lives. Yep, because she could have gotten medical care. Yeah, she she all, all, medical care. All the girl needed was a good meal. Yep, a series of nourishing meals. That's all she needed. Which makes it that much harder because it's like, had he found, like you said, like had he found out like two days earlier, she probably would be would have lived. And what was really really sad was in the beginning, you see the janitor take. The, the fruit drops can and toss it and then you find out that's what he put his sister's Her ashes, ashes in. in. And he just like tosses it like it's trash. Because he's fucking trash. You know, and and the they their spirits end up reuniting at the end of the film and they're sitting on a bench and then you see like modern day Kobe. And it's like basically like kids like them, people like them are the cost yep. that was paid to have these bustling modern metropolises. It's like it's really easy to forget the blood cost, the human cost of your conveniences and your peace. Woo. So, <laughs> just, much. Woo. so much, so much. So it's yeah, you should watch so it much. though. Like, I mean, you, no, it's really good. You like, watch it. <laughs> It's uh, it is really good. Um, we, we all know that I I'm not I'm not here to cry. Like that's that's not what I'm here for. But um, it's a good cry, and it's it's a good way like just to 
kind of examine and be introspective, you know, where are you fucking up? You know, what can you do better? You know, how can you be of service to your fellow man? And we're not talking about moving mountains, you know, we're talking about just basic human decency. Like in a big way, like, again, just paying attention to the people around you. Like we may not be in a wartime, but there are people that you pass who are experiencing their own kind of personal wars and they won't say anything to you. They won't bring it up to you in any way. And just like extending some compassion to them could be the difference between it makes that it, it is the difference between knowing that the war is over and not knowing for some people. Um, yeah. And in, to add a note to something that Tam said about how well done it is, there's a scene where the little girl is, uh, she wants to like run to get into the water. Y'all, she like politely takes her little baby pants off and she's like undoing her shirt or whatever. I'm like, this is the most well-mannered toddler child I've ever fucking seen. Like, as opposed to just like, ripping off her clothes and tossing them in a pile she's like you know folding her little shirt up and stuff and i'm like this is the kind of shit that studio ghibli does really well like the little like the little touches that seem like they're inconsequential but like bolster or add to the story um but oh my god i want to add on to that at the end after um um the little girl dies and like you kind of see like the oh my god the montage of her I was the about montage to say that. Yes. where like she's where she's on where she's like semi transparent so you know she's not alive because she's semi transparent and she's like what got me was when she had like the the tree branch and she's sweeping out the bomb shelter yes, to make with, it with her dolly on her back with her dolly on her back and then like you see her sitting down um repairing what was it like sheets or a shirt yeah, or, she, she was, was like, sewing something she was like four years old like patching up a sheet or something. Just, like, little things that, you know, that's stuff, like, you see your mom do. So, you know, she's trying to keep house. Keep house in, like, an abandoned bomb shelter. But listen, she was happy in that bomb shelter. And I think she was was happier in the bomb shelter until they ran out of food than she was at the aunt's house. Oh, for sure. And I'm like, damn. I was like, what kind of shitbag are you that kids would rather live out in the out in the elements than live under a roof with you. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but um, interesting tidbit, um, Grave of the Fireflies um, is based off of a semi-autobiographical story. And um, the author had said that there were many offers to um, adapt Grave of the Fireflies into a motion picture, but um, nothing that he was shown kind of captured like that scorched earth feel of um of wartime Japan. There's like there was nothing that he was shown that kind of captured the look and feel that he had written until he got to Studio Ghibli and realized that the only way that they would be able to do the story justice was to do it animated. I say that to say this. Not everything needs a goddamn live action I was about adaptation. To say, yeah, I wouldn't be able to I don't think it would have been done justice if it was a live action film. No, and the author also made mention that it would have been extremely difficult, if not nearly impossible, to find child actors who would have been able to convey the emotions that we get from Seta and Setsuko um, in a convincing way. Because like the, when she's hallucinating, like I was thinking, I was like, could they have done this with an actual little girl? And the conclusion I came to was no, Mm -hmm. like there would have been no way for them to get a four-year-old girl or a girl who appears four to, to die in that way and have me not think that, have me not chuckle for lack of, for lack of better phrase. Cause I wouldn't have been able to believe that the four-year-old girl was dying. Cause I've seen four-year-olds try to play dead. (laughs) They, they don't do it well. So the only way that the author saw this story coming to life was animation. I wish some people would learn that and just leave that, leave everything else alone. Damn it. 
Because yeah, I tell yeah. you right now, if one of y'all producers tries to pick up this property and talk about you're going to make a live action Grave of the Fireflies, I swear for God, I don't care if I'm at my Infusion Center, I will unplug my IV and I will come to you and smack you in the face. Okay. Leave not, the story maybe, alone. Maybe not all of that. Um, Just to say, like, it it wouldn't translate. It's It wouldn't. It, it is one of those really heart-wrenching films that just, nobody wants to see a bunch of fucking like terrorize babies like i i just don't want to fucking see it all right and i don't want you to try and do it so you can prove a point to you know that one teacher that said you were never going to be shit or whatever would compel a person to try to put like human children in some shit like this just leave it alone it was perfectly sad (laughs) the way it was no need to take it like to the next level yeah i never want to watch that again no it was good for the one time yeah, no, it's like a good time watching and to say you've watched it and to like get it, but just like it is that shit was emotionally exhausting. Like I feel like I feel like somebody I know died. That's that's how like it, it, and it's not like I just you know, you you know you watch things and you get invested in characters, but it's like it's not a long movie, but it's just like, God, good lord, can the babies get a break? Jesus. So much, so much. So do we have um, any closing thoughts on Grave of the Fireflies that we haven't already mentioned? Because like I said, I have, there are no more tears left to cry. Um, I, there are no aunties to slap, at least not in front of me right now. Um, so I'm in, I'm in a good place right now. I'm going to watch something happy, happier when this is done. That's all I'm saying. Um, I, need something, I-, I need something cute and not this yeah i i feel like again you all if you haven't you should definitely watch it um it's good but like it's kind of like watching (laughs) watching coco like you gotta know like you're gonna get into some emotional stuff just all just be prepared like to shed a tear or your eyes might sweat at some point but again it is really beautifully done if you just don't you know like one of those things that you just watch because it's like it's a classic like that is classic anime and it's a good class. It's, it's an anime that has aged really well. I'll say that. Same. Like that was why I chose it. Cause I was like, all right, the likelihood of me being able to see this elsewhere, it's available on Hulu. So you guys can watch it. If you have access to Hulu or you still, it's also on crunchy else. as well. Okay. See, so there's two places that it's available for you to watch. And for all of you who wouldn't shut the fuck up about Akira, because obviously you're obsessed with old anime, watch this instead, okay? Like, you don't have to watch it a million times, but just, like, watch it, like, one good time. And it, because even the the person who created it said he wasn't trying to, it wasn't trying to be, like, an anti-war film. It is just an explanation of what war looks like. And I think it's weirdly relevant to where we are right now. Alrighty, um, and with that being said, I believe that we are all set with Grave of the Fireflies. Um, <laughs> if you guys have watched it or um, watch it after listening to this show, be sure to hit us up on the timeline and let us know your thoughts and feelings about Grave of the Fireflies. Um, and we will move right along. Now, this is the part of um, where we notice where we normally have noticed me, Senpai. But as you have realized, if you check your watch, we have been talking a lot about Grave of the Fireflies. So we're just going to hop. We're going to just nosedive right in to my favorite segment, The Capo's Corner, where our recommendation, Capo Chopay, tells us what we should be watching. Hey, friends. What's up? It's me, Chopay. Uh, so I am watching a new anime that I think you guys will enjoy. I told Tam about it. She said she was intrigued. So maybe you guys will like it too. Uh, it's called Beyond the Boundary. It's on Hulu and it's like cute as hell. So it starts off with a character. His name is, um, Akito, uh, Akito Kambara. You see him saving one of his classmates. Her name is Mirai. And this girl, she's on a ledge, like it's a school building and there's like a tennis court or some shit at the very top. So she's about to jump off the ledge and he goes to save her and he thinks she's trying to commit suicide. 
but randomly um she turns around and she stabs him with a sword that she has made out of her own blood if you're like what the fuck is going on pardon yeah yeah so if you're like what the fuck is happening so mirai is part of a clan she's a spirit world warrior and akito is half demon so he's half uh yomu like yomu or yokai like you know like that's like the class of like these kinds of characters like you know we all watched um nura of the yokai clan right so in this anime they call them yomu so akito is half yomu so he's basically immortal so mirai is a spirit world warrior her whole job is to kill yomu and um if you've ever seen steven universe when you destroy one of those uh like gem creatures the gem that's left over in this particular anime they take the essence of that yomu and then they can trade it for money so the more difficult a yomu that you kill the more money you get and that is how you raise a living as a spirit world warrior now the problem with mirai is first of all she is part of a a cursed clan the fact that she can use her blood to create a sword is like has her ostracized she's incredibly powerful her blood is very powerful to the point where like when it rains down on yomu it can destroy them but the issue is because her like her shit is so powerful like other people are afraid of her she was brought in by a family the rest of her family is dead okay so she's like the last one of her line she was brought in by like this one girl and like this one family and she and the girl became really good friends there is like this dark like cloud it's like a it's essentially like a super yomu that comes every once in a while unfortunately the girl that had become her friend became possessed by this like darkness so of course mirai ended up killing her and i mean you can't really stay in someone's house when you kill their daughter even though the daughter was possessed by like this demon that was gonna like fuck everything up so mirai essentially uses akito as target practice because after she killed that one girl she was just like my gift is garbage i can't really do anything with it she became really afraid to actually fight so she's targeting akito because he cannot die y'all there's literally like in that scene he has a knife in him and he was like could you please remove this (laughs) and she every day she essentially is like trying to kill him and he's like I need you to understand that even though I'm immortal, it still hurts very much when you stab me, (laughs) like when you do this to me. And she's like, but you can't die. And he's like, yeah, but it hurts. Like, could you please stop like fucking doing this to me? And their relationship grows. And you realize that the reason why she's been targeting him is because she's too afraid to fight actual Yomus. So (laughs) she needs to like practice on someone who cannot die, who is basically like her friend and classmate. Uh, there is a conspiracy that's involved. Like she's like this really sweet girl, but you don't know why everyone is targeting her. It's like, all right, so she's part of a cursed clan. It's not her fucking fault that she has to use blood magic and shit. Um, and then the sister of the girl that she killed is coming for her head at one point. Like it's like there's blood magic. There's like this really cute relationship between the two. Akito is very cute. And like, it's like his mom is a Yomu. She has like cat ears she's basically like a ditz she sends him the equivalent of like a howler except it's her like dressed up like a cat dancing it's it's all like very adorable like they do a good job of balancing really badass fighting with like cutesy like kawaii moments and stuff uh and they're like 13 episodes uh but i would highly recommend it because it's a little bit different than what i usually watch like for a protagonist mirai is kind of dorky but like you can tell that she has a quiet strength that as the episodes progress she's coming into she's coming into she's coming into and akito you know how usually we watch anime where the girl exists to bolster the progression of the male character it happens a lot in anime it is the reverse in this where it is his job to make to support her and to push her towards becoming a better fighter which is not which is not a dynamic that we see often, if ever. So you should watch it for that alone. 
Uh, so Beyond the Boundary, it's on Hulu. I believe that it is subbed, not dubbed. It only has one season, but it's a good season. And, uh, you know, bitches be fighting. And, like, you really can't fault a girl who's able to make a sword with her own blood. Like, that should be intriguing enough. I have recommendations. I know DVD, you do, but do you want to go first? Um, sure, I'll go first. So I've been... Um... I've been, as we all know, I have time on my hands. A little bit. So I've been, <laughs> so I've been like binging through a lot of stuff. Um, but there were a couple things from this spring season that's wrapping up um, this month that I, um, that I was really into. And the first one is this one called Kakurio. And the basic premise is, is that there's this young woman who is sensitive to spirits, she can see them and interact with them, who has been living with her grandfather and her grandfather dies. Um, and after her grandfather dies, she finds out that her grandfather promised her to promised her um, to be the bride of the ogre king, um, basically to cover off some debt that he ran up. And I know what you're thinking, that sounds shady as fuck. Like, why would, why would you use your granddaughter as collateral on a debt that you owe. But when you meet the girl, you realize that she has like, like demons and spirits are really attracted, attracted to her. So it almost feels like the grandfather does it to protect her. Um, It's currently airing now. Um, I'm watching it on Crunchy, um, getting where you fit in. Um, But it's really good. Um, Since it's airing this season, it'll be winding down in the next week or two. Um, but definitely give that one a go. And I'm also watching one called, um, okay, I don't know if it's Butler's Ex-Battlers or Butler's Battlers, but either way, the premise is that there's this young man um, who's in his second year of high school. His name is Jay, and he's the class president. And what you don't realize when you meet him is that he comes from, he is um, a butler and not butler in the sense of, you know, here's a cup of coffee, you know, may I take your coat, please? But butlers have been tasked with um, battling to protect the blood spirit, which is another individual in their family to kind of keep the peace, keep like the, the, the spiritual magical peace or whatever. So what happens is that Jay and his sister there is some type of wonky like space-time rift and he winds up getting catapulted 100 years in the future. And he, um, the headmaster of the school that he goes to finds him and explains the situation somehow or another. The, and he's like, okay, I'll help you. And so you're as you're watching it, like Jay's trying to find a way to get back in time to his sister. And as you're doing that, you meet more butlers. You find out that Jay's not the only butler that made the time jump. And then you also meet descendants of these different butler bloodlines. Um, so if you like cute boys, if you if you dig like magic, um, there's lots of intrigue because you don't know who's on whose side. There's even like a the newspaper reporter at the, from the school newspaper, like the investigative reporter. He's like, there's something odd about you, and I'm gonna find out what it is. And like so, he winds up like digging up like all this stuff on these, this, that, and the third, and it winds up like folding into Jay's story. Um, that one's also on Crunchyroll. And one thing I will tell you is that if you've ever watched Black Butler, the lead character um, in Black Butler, Sebastian, the butler there, looks like Jay and Butler Battlers. So that could be, that if you, like I said, if you like that look, then that's for you. And I also started watching Dances with Dragons. Yes, you're welcome. You, you suggested that one? I did. Yeah, like like two episodes ago. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> ninjas, yeah, we definitely talked fighting, about it. It's dragons. Dead it's ass? magic. Why wouldn't why wouldn't I have suggested it? Of course. Yeah. Okay, never mind. I'm going to hold that one to myself cuz no, I'm still not sure how do, you, how do you feel about it? Like I'm curious. No, I was it I do was it I'm enjoying it, but I got caught up with Butler Butler's ex-battlers, so I'm a few episodes behind on that one. Yeah, I need to catch up on that myself. So, friends, I have three animes that I have been watching and loving and enjoying. One I finished uh, because it's on Netflix. 
And that one is Aiko, A-I-C-O Incarnation. It is a sci-fi based anime and it's pretty good. It's kind of weird because um, it involves like biological research and then clones, but not clones and uh, an experiment or operation kind of went awry and has created this thing called the burst and which causes like this um, rampant growth of organic matter. And the this girl essentially finds out that she's a duplicate of a nut. Like she's a duplicate of another girl. Like she thinks she's human, but then you find out she's not human. Like her body is actually made up of some of this matter. And her actual body is trapped in like the, I guess, ground zero of where like the burst occurred. And essentially you find out like she caught, caused the burst. Um, it's really good. If you like sci-fi anime, there is, um, a bit of action in there. So that's cool. Um, I'm also watching Golden Kamui. I've talked about that on the timeline that's on Crunchyroll. It's being simulcast right now. So there are only eight episodes up, but it's really good. It's a period piece. Uh, it actually, again, um, similar to Graven Fireflies, it takes place during World War II, but the, towards the end, and this one soldier, he is, his nickname is the immortal Sagamoto, I believe. And because like, he just won't die. Like he just wouldn't die during the war. Like he was a wild boy jumping in the middle of fights. His body is all scarred up as a result, but his friend asked him to take care of his wife. Um, she has some kind of blindness going on. So he essentially is sifting for gold, trying to take care, like trying to get money to take care of, of his friend's wife and comes across this story about a prisoner who robbed the indigenous people that I think they're called the Ainu. And this is actually an indigenous group of Japan, um, of this, of their gold. And to, he hid it, but what he did was he tattooed the map of where the gold was on different prisoners' bodies. So essentially you have to kill these prisoners and skin them to put the map together. Um, and he's, of course, he's like, what? I'm intrigued. So he decides- Hold on, like, did, did you say you need to kill yes, the prisoners uh -huh. and skin them to mm -hmm. find the map? Yeah, because oh, the, okay. the map okay. is on their bodies. Oh, okay. Just wanted to make sure I heard right. Yeah, you heard me correctly. So he essentially um, gets in a jam with a bear because this is kind of, they're in the wilderness. And a young indigenous girl, Arspa, saves him and he tells her about like what he's about to do. And then she's like, yeah, my father was one of those indigenous men that were killed. So I want to help you. I don't really care about the gold, but like, I just, I just want to help you. So mind you, she is 14. She has to be no more than 14. She is a bad bitch in the wilderness. Um, it's really interesting because it looks at indigenous culture and, Japanese culture and the two of them intermingling together, but it doesn't do it in a just to me, it doesn't do it in a disrespectful way. I've also never watched an anime that acknowledges indigenous people in Japan. So that was really interesting. And you essentially have this 14 year old girl, like being a bad bitch in the wilderness and like very proud of her culture, educating, um, Sagamoto about her culture. And he starts to dig it even with like the food and stuff. It's funny because he adds miso to a lot of the stews that she makes. And she was like, it looks like shit. Why are you putting shit in your food? Straight up. She's just like, please stop. He's like, no girl, it's delicious. And she's like, I want you to stop putting shit in your food. So that's like kind of one of the running gags in the show. So there's a, there's some humor. There's really good action and intrigue because then you have this like one division of the arm. Like there's several people looking for, um, the skins essentially to get to the gold. So you have this deranged 
commander who like got part of his like skull blown off during the war. So he is a little off and his offness sometimes results in like sadism. Um, but it's not like, it's not dark where you're like, Oh, this is too much, but he, he's, he's a lot and he's not nice to look at. And then you have this old G-san old looking like he was part of the Yakuza grandpa also looking for the gold. So it's just like these three parts people looking for the gold um it's really good again like i said it's being simulcast on crunchy so there are eight episodes there probably should be a new episode up this week i hope so because i watch it at work um and the last one i think it only has maybe one or two more episodes left is hinamatsuri and that was actually a recommendation from one of our listeners and i just decided to watch it it's on crunchy it is so funny it is essentially about a yakuza member who ends up taking care of a girl with psychonetic abilities we do not know where she comes from she literally just shows up in his apartment in a pod one day and he is obsessed with expensive vases and so she breaks them all the time she ends up going to school and one of her friends is kind of a pushover and ends up becoming a bartender at like the local bar um and nobody and people just kind of ignore the fact that she's a child bartender um and then there's some other people from Hina's world that come and it's it's really fun. It's not super actiony, but it's not super like sugary cute. It's 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 good. So those are my recommendations for you all. So y'all got a lot. Y'all got a lot to catch up on and or watch. Don't say we never fucking gave you anything. Also, Outlaw Bars is for the kids. Not really, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so um, with that, I believe we have reached the end of this episode of Outlaw Bars. Um, if you have any questions, comments, cares, or concerns, um, the quickest way to reach us is to hit us up at Outlaw Bars Pod on Twitter or to email us at outlawbars at fanbros.com. Um, we want to say thank you to everyone who joined us um, for Outlaw Views and the Disastrous Life of Psyche K. Alrighty, and with that, I believe that we are at the end of this episode of Outlaw Bars. If you have any questions, comments, cares, or concerns, the quickest way to reach us is to hit us up on Twitter at Outlaw Bars Pod or to email us at outlawbars at fanbros.com. Um, if you would like to chat with me about this, that, and the third, um, you can reach me at Deadly Diva. Um, and also, we just want to um, extend a thank you and a hey, how you doing to everyone who joined us for Outlaw Views and the Disastrous Life of Psyche K. Yeah, don't get attached to that. Just gonna put that out there. Um, and ladies, let the people know where they can find you. Uh, hey guys, you can find me on Twitter at Simply Chopay. Um, let's talk about some cool shit. Hey guys, you can find me at Bruja Bantan, and you all know I'm always looking for cool things to watch. So keep sending the recs. I appreciate them. Alrighty, and with that, I believe we are done. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.